Hello everyone, welcome back to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, where we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors fighting for justice. I'm your host, Lindsay Ann. Last week, I brought you guys to Kokomo, Indiana. You got to hear clips of our speeches and what happened when Kokomo Police Department ran away from us and shut their blinds in our face. This week, I am introducing an incredibly powerful person in the true crime world, and we have a huge announcement. Are you ready? Let's do this! You guys, before I jump into this episode, I am so excited to tell you that I will be starting a Patreon. Throughout the next few weeks, I will be introducing to you what the Patreon memberships will look like, the different tiers that will be available to you, and what it means to be a Patreon member of Can't Stop, Won't Stop. So stay tuned and keep an eye on the Can't Stop, Won't Stop Facebook page as well as my Instagram page at MyLindsayAnn for details. I will be launching my Patreon beginning August 1st, 2021. Okay, so you guys, if you haven't subscribed to Anthony Greeno's True Crime Investigates YouTube channel yet, then pause this episode right now and subscribe to him. You will not want to miss anything that this guy does. I highly recommend you check out his video from July 10th, 2021, which covers our Can't Stop, Won't Stop protest in Kokomo, Indiana. So who is this Anthony Greeno YouTuber guy with nearly 12,000, at the time of this recording, subscribers? I had the honor of interviewing him, and well, you know what, let's just jump right in. Here is True Crime Investigates, Anthony Greeno. All right, awesome. So we are. I'm here with Anthony Greeno, the Anthony Greeno from True Crime Investigates. And Anthony, I guess that what I'm going to start off with saying is just who who are you? Who is Anthony Greeno? Well, I am a. I would consider myself a a true crime YouTuber and investigative journalist. I'm someone. I'm from Indiana, uh, born and raised in Carroll County, Indiana, and. I'm just a person who has a passion for helping people and creating uh, true crime videos, you know, to get the word out there about families that are uh, dealing with, you know, either murder or missing persons, whether that's a child, brother, sister, mom, whatever it is. I'm just a person who has a drive to help people create awareness for their cases through videography. Okay, awesome. So what drives you? What what gave you that passion to help people? Because I feel like so many so, so many of us um, and so many people say, oh, I love helping people. And then when it comes down to it, maybe that drive isn't quite there. Their heart is there. Their, their thoughts are there. Um, but that drive just isn't there. So what, what gives you that passion? Because you do follow through on what you say. What drives me to do this is kind of a variety of things. It, I really got into it after the double homicide in Delphi, Indiana. 
I really got into that. And, you know, I started out with just my cell phone and I was just going out and filming different things for people. And people just kept saying, well, can you do this and this and this? And then eventually people said, you know, like, man, you just really need to expand a little bit because people like what you're doing. And so once I, I saw that I had a following of people that wanted to see what I did, I, I started really getting into it. I thought, you know what, I can really help people understand crime scenes in these areas. And I can actually go to police departments and, and ask questions and get on the spot interviews from them. And so it was like, you know, if I can do that and, and help people understand crimes a little bit better, or by getting information that they can't get through other mainstream media outlets, then that is what I wanted to do. And that's, that's really what drives me. Other than the fact that, you know, my mother was murdered. My mother was murdered in 1996, still an unsolved case. And my father actually had murdered someone in 2002 and got 65 years in prison. So I'm, I'm a, a product of two tragic situations that I've learned from. And I've just used that because I know how I feel in the situation. So I can understand it from both points of view, you know, as being the relative of someone who's taken someone else's life. You know, I know how people look at him in that way uh, toward the hatred. And then I'm also, you know, the victim of someone who's taken my mother's life. So I see it from both sides of the fence. And that is a key factor in what drives me to do what I do. Wow. I didn't know about your dad. Um, but I Most people don't. Yeah. First, I want to say I'm so sorry about your mom. And we have talked about that before, but I, I just want to say I'm so sorry about your mom and I'm so sorry that it's unsolved. And that is right there would be a huge drive <laughs> for, for what you do. Um, and then also, I'm sorry about your dad, you know, and, and that's, wow, that's crazy that, that you have both sides. <laughs> both sides. And that's not, you know, that's not common. A lot of people uh, you know, when they hear that, they're just, they're like, wow, man, I can't believe that that, like, how often, what's the statistics on something like that happening to somebody? Is it's a, very rare. Is he a suspect in your mom's? No, yeah. no, no, okay. no. Years later, it happened a whole separate situation, just, yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of what really bothered me about it is he knew how that affected me and, and my brothers and sisters. You know, he knew how bad that hurt. And when he went and did the same thing to a woman, it was like, and how can you do that? I mean, you know how that affected me. I mean, this lady's got kids and a family and parents. And, you know, I just, I know what they're going through, mm. you know, and I just wish that I would be able to, to finally get a hold of those people because I really want to talk to those people, that you know, and let them know that I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was going to be my next question is what would you say to them? What would you like? I mean, we have my sister-in-law's, you know, Egypt's murderers. They are in jail. And I think over and over again, because I, I know I want to go and I want to talk to them when the trial is over and I want to speak with them. And um, Dwayne wants nothing to do with that at this point right now. And he always says, I don't know how I'm going to feel eventually, but, and I try to think of what I would say to them. Do you know what you would say to this, the family, not the family that are victims, not mm -hmm. um, the killer, your mom's of, killer? Of my, yeah. yeah. 
I've thought about both of those actually. Yeah. You know, what would I say to, to, to the people that killed my mom if I found out? What would I say to the people that my, my dad killed, the lady that my dad killed? What would I say to her family? And it is a hard situation because you have so many, you're, you're, there's ups and downs on that. You know, at one day you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I, I hate you. I hope, you know, that you burn in hell. But then there's some days it's like, you know what? It's, 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 you, you, you work both sides of that because it's, it's very difficult to explain at times. You know, I, I would probably look at the people that my father, had, the, the lady's family that my father had killed and say, you know, I know, I understand this because my mother was killed. I know what it's like to have a life taken in your family. And, and I, I have no resolution. You know, and, and I've dealt with that for so many years and it really bothered me when my father did this to the point I felt like I needed to reach out and I just wanted to say that I love you and I apologize for what he did. And I hope that you don't hold us accountable for an action that he did. Have you thought about doing that? I want to get a hold of them. I just don't know how to get a hold of them. Okay. And sometimes I'm afraid to get a hold of them because I'm not sure what their reaction would be if I brought back a memory from you know 10 years ago to them i'm just i'm unsure i'm a little wishy-washy when it comes to what would they say to me you know i don't want to get shunned off and because then i would feel bad about it you know like maybe i shouldn't have done that but maybe it'll help them find closure it would help me find closure in that situation have you talked to your dad i wrote him a letter one time okay and after that I, I pretty much just spilled it all out to him. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I can't believe you did this. You know how that made us feel. Yeah. Um, it saddens me, but you know what? I'm going to, to do better things in life. And, you know, you, you would be proud, but you can't be proud because mm -hmm. it's going against everything that I believe that you stand for. Wow. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. And then what about the family that, or not the family, whoever, if it was one or two or three or four people that, that took your mom's life, do you ever, do you think about what you would say to them? Yeah, I think that I would, a lot of people I see, you know, when I'm, when I'm covering these court cases is they have a prepared statement. And if I, I couldn't have a prepared statement because everything I'm going to say is just going to come from my heart exactly how I feel in the moment, how I've, I've felt over these years, the things I've always wanted to say, it would just come right out of me. And it, and it would basically be, you know, that I'm glad that they finally got caught. I'm glad that they're able to stand up and face me. They may even know who I am, you know, through the, uh, through the, the popularity, popularity that I've gained here in Indiana doing the true crime thing. They may know who I am. And, and they may not have put two and two together that I am the son of Melinda Greeno, the person that they murdered. Um, but if they are watching and they do know that, then they know that, you know, one day I'm eventually gonna, gonna catch up to them and I will, I, I will be able to say what I need to say to them. So she was murdered in Indiana? She was murdered in Lafayette, Indiana. Oh, okay. So then is that, she's the reason behind the Lafayette March? It is, that is a big part of it. Okay. Um, I asked my viewers to select the location in Indiana where they would be, where they wanted to hold the March for Justice. And a lot of them voted Lafayette. 
but I put Lafayette as one of those key places in hopes that they would vote that one just because that's the simple fact is that's where it happened. Lafayette's where I was born. It, it, it's La, that's Lafayette's where a lot of my family members are and West Lafayette is, is where my mom is buried. And that's just, that's a good location for me, you know, so it worked out. Well, since we brought that up, let's just get into the march and let's, can you, and then, then you guys, I'm going to get into more of, of, um, the behind, behind true crime investigates, but let's, since we just brought up the march, can you, do you want to go ahead and tell everybody what's happening in Lafayette, August 1st? August 21st in downtown Lafayette, I am holding an event very similar to what Can't Stop, Won't Stop put on in Kokomo, uh, last week. And it's a it's an event where we raise awareness for uh, unsolved murders, missing persons, victims of unsolved crimes. So it doesn't have to be someone who is missing and never found or uh, someone who's been murdered. It can be you. If you are a victim of an unsolved crime, then I encourage you to come because we don't get enough awareness for things like this. You know, the news will talk about a case here and there, but they do a two minute, three minute, maybe a five minute segment on it and it's over. And it's sometimes hard to find those links to those articles. And so what I wanted to do was bring people that are in similar circumstances, families that are going through the same thing that I am to come together, set up a booth and be able to share their story with random people that they don't know and with, with other families that are going through the same thing and be able to talk things out, you know, how can we help each other through all of this? You know, what are some resources that this family knows that this family doesn't know that they can do that they can team up and join together. And so that is really my goal in doing that. Um, it, it started off in Muncie, Indiana, where I was going to cover a true crime case there. And it branched out so quickly into, well, let's do it in Lafayette, then let's go to multiple states and do this. It just became something so much bigger than I could ever imagine. And so many people are interested in it. I felt like this was a calling. This is a movement. This is something that has to be done because in a way, I don't feel like I'm ever going to get closure for my mom's case, but I get, I grieve by helping these other people find their justice. And that is ultimately, that's kind of what drives the March for Justice. I love that. I love that. That's actually how Can't Stop, Won't Stop started. It was because we finally got to stop our, um, our personal investigation, our, our own research in Egypt's death. And I hear this a lot from, from grieving families, from the families that I'm working with right now. Lindsay, what do I do with my time now? Now that we're fighting and we're so close to getting the state to take over, what do I do with my time? And that's what I found Dwayne and I saying to each other. And it was like, well, I know what we're going to do. We're going to help other families because we quickly realized you think you're alone when you're going through this. You feel like no one else is going through this because, because the police solve everything. They, they keep us safe. They, you know, and so mm -hmm. it's, it makes you feel like this is a once in a lifetime thing. Like nobody else has this happen to them. And it's, it is, Oh, it's terrible. And um, how many families are going through the same thing? And it's almost like a um, unspoken, well, it is like an unspoken truth that nobody talks about it because it's almost like it's shunned that, that yeah. you would think that 
maybe your local department isn't doing everything possible. And it's almost like, no way, you can't talk bad about them. And um, so nobody really talks about it. And, and how do you expect these grieving families to fight and fight and fight for an investigation for their loved one while they're still grieving or haven't been able to grieve yet? They're exhausted, they're worn down. So then, it, it just feels so good to now be able to help other families and let them know their rights and 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 not let them know that they're not in this fight by themselves so be a voice that's what i always say be a voice you know there's people out there that are too they're too shy or or nervous to be able to go to the police and say well maybe you should try a different route you know because they think well i don't want to you know i don't want to make anybody mad because the police they've got the power but it's i mean they work for us you know they they're working for us because they're working on the cases because of us. Yep. You know, it's it's our family member who was killed or missing or whatever the circumstance may be, or I'm the victim. You know, I need to be a voice. I need to voice my opinions because if I don't, then it just kind of gets brushed under the rug as to, well, we'll disclose this case and move forward. No one's no one really cares about it anyway because no one's speaking up about it. But when you speak up and speak up and speak up, that's when things start changing because people start listening and if they don't listen they don't well they don't have a choice but to listen when you keep speaking you know so be a voice is my motto yeah that's exactly what when when egypt's case went over to msp one of the detectives that we worked very closely with and still do um i kept calling him and we were we were checking in and uh and i said oh my gosh i'm so sorry i feel like i'm annoying you and i keep calling and giving you guys information and he said lindsay we love working with families like you. We love when somebody is as invested as we are. That drives us too, because that, that gives us purpose, more of a purpose uh, to really fight for your loved one too. So he encouraged it where our local department, Van Buren, was pushing me away, pushing mm -hmm. me and Blaine away and, and Tina and saying, we don't want your information. You're hurting this case. You're hindering this case. We're, and then with MSP was exactly, exactly what you said. We want you. We, we, you can call us anytime, any day, all day long, and they, they will listen because what you said is exactly right, that they want to hear um, that we are, are keeping holding them accountable. They want to be held accountable. And that's what we're doing to these small departments that don't want to be held accountable. And <laughs> And you're right. And that's the thing is some of these smaller departments that keep saying things like, oh, you're, you're going to hinder the investigation. You're causing problems for us. No, I mean, we're not hindering the investigation. We're asking you to do something that we feel you've missed. It's okay to say, we didn't really think of that. You know, um, it, it's kind of being narcissistic in a way as well. We're always right you know, is what they think. Well, we're always right. You know, you don't know anything. You don't have the evidence. It's like, yeah, but you're not always right. I mean, look at Egypt's case. You weren't right. Okay. Yeah. They weren't right on that case and they thought they were. Yeah. And so, and then they wonder why people don't want to come forward with information on crimes because they don't feel like anybody listens to them. You know, they don't get a response when they submit a tip. They don't get follow-ups on that. Nobody comes to see you. They, they just, take your information is like, okay, yep. All right. Bye. And then that's it. You never hear anything. And then they're out here asking for, well, can we need tips from people? Well, nobody wants to call in because they feel like it's irrelevant if they do. Yep. Yep. And, and what they were doing was 
uh, if it wasn't about Kenny, if it wasn't about Egypt's ex-boyfriend, they would, they would manipulate it to be, well, you know that Kenny punched holes in her walls. You know that, you know, it, do you know Kenny? Do you know? And they would manipulate the person to thinking, oh shit, I, I, I must be way wrong. It must be Kenny. You know? It, uh, yeah, they're, they're su it's suggestive. Yeah. Suggestive evidence. They're, they're suggesting that this is the person that did it. You know, you could take, I've seen several cases like that where they can take a mugshot of an individual and say, well, this is the guy, right? And people, you know, they don't necessarily remember who exactly they saw that robbed the store or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's the guy. Because it's just that simple wording when they say, this is the guy, right? It's almost, that's suggestive to the human brain. The human brain takes that as, well, you're telling me it's the guy. So yes, it's the guy, even though it may not be. Yep. You know, they, they need to leave everything open for people to, if the person remembers what the guy looks like or whatever the situation is, they'll say it. Don't suggest things to people, you know, to fit your theory. Um, ex Carl Sagan says extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Okay. Which means that you can't take your theory and try to make it fit into the evidence. Yeah. Okay. You have to take the evidence and make it fit your theory. And if it doesn't fit your theory, then your theory's wrong. Yep. You know, so if you've got that extraordinary claim, you've got to back it up with the evidence. And if you can't do so, it's not so extraordinary. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Love that. I should write that quote down. Um, okay. So after all of the, this, this conversation that we've just had, what, why did you create True Crime Investigates? True Crime Investigates, actually the name True Crime Investigates came out in 2019. Before that, my YouTube channel was, um, it was called uh, Southern Bounty at the time. And that was because it just aired clips of my bounty hunter stuff that I was doing. And then I got into the Delphi murders and I, I started filming things for that. And I had it on that channel and my friend, Michael Cap said, you know, people, they don't look up Southern Bounty when they, when they try to find you, they type in Anthony Greeno. So you need to change your, your YouTube name to Anthony Greeno because that's how people know you. So I did, I changed it to Anthony Greeno. And after a while, everybody knew who I was, that I got my name out there that basically branded my name as to a true crime YouTube channel. And then I thought, you know, since I am a true crime YouTube channel, I need something more professional sounding. I need something more into true crime because people now know who I am. I want that name to brand itself. And so I came up with true crime investigates, and that's basically just investigating true crime stories and getting into go to going to murder scenes, meeting up with family members of victims, getting their story, interviewing them. But I, I had to go to the crime scenes. You know, I don't always get to go because sometimes they're across the country and I just, I don't have the means to be able to do that. But once I started getting into a few cases where I actually sat down with these other people and realized that they felt the same way about me, I thought this is true crime investigates at heart. This is what I want to do in life. Like this makes me who I am. And it's like full time now. That's exactly what I do. And I, I love doing it. Like this is my pastime is, is researching cases to find people to help. 
Yeah, it feels good when you find when you when you find your passion, right? <laughs> it does because it's like, man, I love this. <laughs> I, it, it's it's addicting. It's um it's heartwarming. It's fulfilling. It's just invigorating. All these these words, and it just when you talk to the families, it just is, it's the best feeling. So I, I feel you on that. Um, but you've, you've brought up now a couple times, the Delphi murders. Can you just give us like a, an overview of the Delphi murders? I can. Uh, Delphi is a small community of 3000 people, very rural, um, very country, a lot of older people in town, very, very, very small country community in the middle of farmland. And on February 13th, 2017, two teen girls went on a nature hike at the Monon High Bridge Trail, which is an abandoned railroad trestle that sits 70 feet high, 853 feet long, just outside of Delphi, Indiana. And their names are 14-year-old Liberty German and 13-year-old Abigail Williams. And they went out there to take some pictures on the big railroad trestle, and they were brutally murdered by an unidentified subject. And during the course of their abduction and murder, Liberty actually captured video and audio of the killer on her cell phone. And she was able to re record the suspect walking across them on the bridge. There's video of that that the police have released. And there's actually audio that the police have released of him ordering the girls to go down the hill. And, and you, can, you can hear that audio clip. He says, guys, go down the hill. And it's just an eerie feeling, you know, because they was found about a football field away after they they had posted a Snapchat picture on their uh, in, uh, on their Snapchat of one of the girls on the bridge. And, you know, an hour later, they're missing and murdered. And it's been four and a half years and the case remains unsolved and it's gotten worldwide media attention. It's just yeah. the strangest case ever. I was gonna say it. I remember, I, I remember clips of it, like uh, because it was national, and I remember thinking um, how crazy it was, and how fortunate that they had the the video. It needs to be. It, and what also is crazy to me is that it's not solved. It's unbelievable that it's not solved. I mean, the police, state police, they say, you know, I never remember a case where we had video, audio, DNA of the suspect. And I sit here and I think, well, if you've never had that before, that's like such compelling evidence against somebody in a small community of 3,000 people. How has this individual not been identified by anybody? They believe he's local. I believe he's local. But the picture is just so pixelated. You just can't tell who it is. I mean, it, it could be someone that you know, and you just can't recognize them through the video, you know? Yeah, I don't want to go too too much into it because I I'd love to interview sometime and I want to cover that case. But do you think he is still local? I do think he's still local. I think that he knows that he doesn't look any. I think that he knows that he's not easily identifiable, and I think that he is in plain sight and he is an upstanding member of the community. And he's just he's like one of those serial killers like the BTK that just blends right in with everybody and nobody suspects a thing. And I think that he's cocky enough and arrogant enough to know that. Like Elizabeth Smart. Yes. Took her right into, into town. Yes. Her place is such, yeah. Oh, think, think, thinking that no one's going to know. Yeah. 
arrogance just oh gosh what a what a terrible story and then there's another story that i've noticed that you cover um as well and I, and it's hard for me to ask you only a couple a couple stories the delphi murders and then the flora fires because i know every murder every um missing persons every case is just as important as every other one so I, and I want to learn more about all of your cases. Uh, today, I really wanted to hear about the Delphi murders and I'd love to hear a little bit more, give the listeners an idea about the Flora fires. The Flora fires is an interesting one too. See, both these are in my, in Carroll County, which is where I grew up at, you know? So they're both home to me. This is my home, home community. And Flora actually happened before the Delphi murders that happened in November, November 23rd, 2016. And Carroll County is a predominantly all white county. There, are, there is no people of color in the county of Carroll. Uh, like 0.02% are African-American. And that 0.02% would have been this one family that lived in Flora. And there was four little girls, ages 11, nine, seven, and five, that were killed in an arson fire. And it, I mean, it shook the community big time. I mean, it was just, that was unheard of. But the biggest thing is that law enforcement, law enforcement officials that were working on the case made some serious statements that really rattled some, some, some people up. And, and me as one of those people I thought, well, that doesn't sound right. You know, they said that the fire was an accident and that they brought canine units in to search for traces of accelerants and that none, none were found, that something in the house had caught the fire, like an electrical unit. Mm -hmm. Well, come to find out a private investigator from Michigan just didn't, didn't thought he didn't think that sounded right. So he did an investigation and determined that there were accelerants found and they were all over the place and it was impossible for a state fire marshal to miss that. And so they called that, you know, and all the media outlets, including me called that and, and went to this fire marshal who used to be the former sheriff of Carroll County and said, why did you like lie mm -hmm. on that report? And he, he quit his job, you know, and it, it, that sparked a whole chain of events with other people, like the lies and the manipulation that started coming from law enforcement around these four girls was, it was overwhelming, you know, the amount of evidence that proved that what they were saying was just junk, mm -hmm. you know, and that kind of prompted me to investigate it a lot more. And, and by investigate, I mean like, really put on the secret cameras and the private eye and go sit around town and like spy on people in order to try to figure out why exactly there would be a reason to lie there, you know, an, an investigation into the fire marshal and his family uncovered a ton of corruption, you know, stealing half a million dollars from a, from an attorney, um, pocketing jail meal money and starving, starving inmates, setting other inmates up with syringes and needles to make them look guilty. Uh, one, of them, one of them was convicted of arson. You know, it's like, okay, this is just too many red flags for me. One of the firefighters? One of the, the law enforcement officials. Was convicted of arson? Arson, yeah. You know, each one of those, those that family, all that family was involved in law enforcement or attorneys. And every single one of them was involved in corrupt, scandalous shit. Yeah, go ahead you know? and that family. Let's put their name out there. Dennis Randall, former sheriff of Carroll County, became the state fire marshal. His wife, Jean Ann Randall, 
she worked for uh, an attorney, Huffer Law Office, for years as his personal secretary. Um, she, after he died, she stole $250,000. She was writing checks and forging his name on it to steal money and put it in her and her husband's account. Yeah, Dennis Randall, when he was the sheriff, he was pocketing jail meal funds. And instead of feeding the inmates the proper amount of food, he was pocketing it and doing remodeling on his own home and building himself a, a, a big mansion type home with a pool and all sorts of cool stuff at his house. His brother, John Randall, the lead jailer in the jail, was uh, setting inmates up with syringes and, uh, you know, um, just doing all sorts of corrupt stuff within the jail. And then Dennis Randall's son, Adam, was the fire chief in Flora. You know, the fire department set one block away from the actual fire, from where the fire occurred. And a deputy from Carroll County Jail, which is 10 miles away, arrived first on scene before a Flora police officer, which is one block away, and the Flora Fire Department, which is one block away. So you're telling me that a, a police officer can get from 10 miles to the fire before someone could get a block away that's not, that is highly unlikely. It, it, for a situation to happen like that, it, it told me this house was set on fire for a reason. And then even more into those people, the man Michael Randall I'm talking about was convicted of burning things down, burning down a house in Carroll County. So there's reasons to lie. This family has a history of corruption, lies, burning things down. So they all, go ahead. Well, so this is what I was going to say is, is you guys, Anthony has covered both of these, these cases um, with intense detail and you can find them on his YouTube channel, True Crime Investigates. And that is the floor. The, the reason that I wanted him to bring up both of those cases, uh, specifically the floor fires is because that case right there, when I watched his YouTube, he has multiple um, productions on the flora fires. And after watching those, I was like, I need, I need to get to know this guy. We need to work together. Like, I like his style, his Southern style. Southern style. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I love his style and us together. I know we can, we can just make huge movements and make big waves in, the, in law enforcement. We can make law enforcement better. And that's what Anthony and I both want to do is we want to we want to make law enforcement better. We want to hold them accountable. We want to get rid of um, the riffraff, I guess, of the law enforcement that's in there. Because what happens is these guys get to go and, and retire, but but it, without getting in trouble, but yet they're still crooked friends are still the cops and sheriffs and, and deputies and firefighters. They're still there and they're just as crooked as them. They just haven't been caught yet. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they haven't been caught yet. That's the thing. Yeah. And so to, to see Anthony's drive for this and, and I think, uh, Anthony, if you're okay with telling the listeners, I think it's really compelling to hear your story of them putting you in jail because of, I mean, just what we do. And I know my, my family has been nervous. Lindsay, one day you're going to be in jail. And I said, I don't give a shit. I do not care because if I, if someone does put me in jail, I know it's going to be for a reason because I'm helping somebody else that deserves it. And I know that whatever they're doing, I'm going to have a huge support backing me 
in, in getting me out of there because whatever they do, if someone puts me away, it's not going to be for, for the right reason. And they're gonna be doing it um, illegally. So I, go ahead, if you don't mind just telling your story with that. Sure, well, I mean, and, and during the course of my investigation into the Florida case, I eventually caught up with this Dennis Randall guy. And I, you know, had a hidden camera on me. At first I had one camera on me and I was trying to get an interview and he denied that. So I let him look to see me putting up my camera. I wanted him to see me putting it up, but I had a secret camera, a cell phone in my pocket with a record on already. And he didn't know that. So when he saw the camera go away, I figured I would go bother him in hopes that he would say something without thinking he was being recorded. And in Indiana, it's legal to record people as long as one of the persons in the recording consents to it. So I kept saying, well, why did you lie? Why did you lie? Why did you lie? And I went through, he went to go shut his truck door and I grabbed a hold of it and I says, just tell me something. And, and he looked at me and he says, you know what, Greeno, niggas don't last long here. And I thought, I was stunned at what he said. And he shut his door and I just kind of went back and I, I pulled out my phone and I listened to it again. And I'm like, I can't believe that he just said that about the four little girls who were killed. And so I contacted all the news outlets. I contacted the NAACP and I said, look, this guy that lied on this report, his family's involved in all this. They got burning things down and stuff. He called them the N-word. Mm. He called those little girls the N-word and said that they don't last long here. That kind of sounds like this guy may be involved in this. <laughs> and so I took that to the, I contacted uh, the prosecutor and says, I'd like to do an interview. He said, no. So then I called a press Who conference. prosecutor at that time? Robert Ives. Okay. Robert Ives. Um, he's easily found when you look up the Delphi murders. He'll be one of the prosecutors that talks a lot on it. So I told him, I said, okay, well, I'm going to do a media press conference. And so I called all the major news outlets. We set a press conference up for almost 30 days out. And it was actually 35 days out. And they said, okay, yeah, we're going to schedule it for this date. Bring your evidence. We'll set everything up. We'll get a big to-do haul going. And so once the prosecutor saw that, he called me in the next, he called me that night and says, you know what, why don't you come in for an interview? I'd like to talk to you. So I went into the courthouse for an interview with him. And when I arrived, the grandmother of Karina McClurkin, Jerry McClurkin, who you met mm -hmm. in Kokomo, was there. I was going to be covering her case. She was standing there. And the brother of this Dennis Randall, this John guy, comes out and arrested me for contempt of court. Took my cell phone, factory reset it. They tried to get rid of the evidence. They tried to set me up and silence me. They tried to get rid of that evidence because they knew I had it. And they didn't want these major me mainstream media outlets to get it. But I sat in jail for 36 days on a 30-day sentence for contempt. They said, you're going to serve 30 days for contempt of court. And I was like, well, I wasn't even in court. I'm not even in trouble. So how am I in contempt? It was all just a big scam. They, they did it to try to get rid of the evidence on my phone, which they did factory reset but I had already sent the video out to everybody. And so the NAACP, with the help of some other YouTubers, uh, Harvey Carroll and Sandra Tamez, um, from another country, called the NAACP and said, look, this guy's got some crucial evidence. Do you need to help him? And the NAACP went and got me out of jail and stood up at a press conference in Indianapolis against the head of the state police and said, something's going on in Florida. This is corruption. And State Police Superintendent Doug Carter answered back and says, you know, that strikes me at the very core of who I am. And I don't believe this is about race or anything, but 
I mean, it, it was, it was about race because he said that about them, you know, and, and he lied on those reports. Oh my God. It, like it, it leaves me speechless. I, and I've heard this story, you guys, I've heard this story so many times and every time I hear it, I can't believe that this happened and this happened in what year? What year did, I know, I know the murders were in 2016, but 2017 at the end of 2017 I was put in jail from November to December like that isn't that long ago and and that's happening and that is it's crazy to me I feel like this should be something out in the wild wild west like <laughs> remember in the olden days when you could go to jail for <laughs> like, I, I know it is it's absurd that that is happening that they can just come in and take you and, and put you away, lock you up. You guys, he's, he never saw a judge in, in the 36 days that he was, that you were in there, right? Never, never, never saw a judge one time. I was just put away for 36 days into another county jail, not even the county that they arrested me in, which is against the law. You know, they arrested me in one county, took me to another county, dropped me off, and just left me there uh, for 36 days on a 30-day sentence. And I'm like, well, why am I in here? For, they said, you know, I, I'll sit 30 days in jail. I don't care. Um, I, I sat in there for 31, 32, and I'm like, man, something, why ain't I be, why are you not letting me out of here? Oh, well, we don't have any answers. We don't have any answers. No, no, no. They said 30 days. I want out right now. You unlock that door. You let me out of here. And I'm in there and I'm kicking the doors and I'm beating on things and I'm screaming and yelling at the guards. And I'm like, you're going to let me out of here right now. And they're like, yeah, we're not letting you out of here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's you like, that, were you in the cell by yourself? No, I was in a cell with another individual and I was telling him what was going on. And I don't even know if he believed me, you know, he probably just thought I was some crazy guy trying to get out of jail or whatever. And I'm like, no, man, listen, dude, I'm a, I'm a product of some corruption. Like there, this shouldn't even be happening. I probably sound like a conspiracy theorist when I was yeah. in there. I know I did. Yeah. Um, it's unbelievable. Well, they, they held me in there that six extra days to prevent me from holding that press conference is what they did. They thought that it was all going to go away be, and because the media would be like, oh, well, he didn't show up to a press conference. This dude must be full of shit. Yep. yep, he's lying. He, he doesn't have any evidence or anything, but I already sent it to the NAACP. Uh, everybody already had it. Those three officials, the fire chief, the fire marshal, and the prosecutor all quit their jobs because they knew. You know, when I sent that letter to each one of them and said, I already got you. It's too late. You're, you're hit, man. It's just a matter of time. They all quit their jobs. And that's ultimately what I wanted was I wanted them gone, yeah. out yeah. with the old, in with someone else, who's going to take charge of this investigation. And now the Indiana state police have taken over that investigation mm -hmm. from Carroll County. Yeah. Yeah. Well, huge props to you. Uh, that's incredible. And you deserve all the credit in the world for them no longer being able to protect and serve their community. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that is amazing. And, um, I, I'm sure I can say on behalf of everybody, we're so thankful that, that you did that and were brave enough to do that because not many people are. And understandably, you know, yeah. there aren't many people who are, who are brave enough um, to do what you did and to go and knock on Kokomo's door like you and I did uh, at, our, at our protest there. And I think, or not I think, but when, when people see us doing things like that and using, being a voice and, and being brave and knowing our rights and, and showing up and doing things, it gives, it gives maybe one more person that feeling of, I can do that. 
oh my gosh, I'm going to do that. I deserve that. My daughter, my son, my loved one deserves their justice. And damn it, I'm going to go get, and I'm going to go get it. And exactly. it's, it's, it's the best feeling. And I'm sure you can agree with me on this is when, when I start working with families and they're really timid and shy and, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. And I don't know what to do. And I, I don't know, you know, and now Donna Bell is a prime example. Prime. She was so quiet and so, I don't want to hurt anything and I don't want to, just a lovely, lovely lady. She's, clearly she still is, but just really just um, real timid mm -hmm. and, and, and just didn't know what to do. And she kept saying, Lindsay, I don't want to mess up my, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to mess up her case. I didn't want to. Now she walked her, she walked her beautiful self right into the Kokomo with us. And she says, justice for Brittany Bell. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and just, it just is so, it's, it, it makes me proud and of, of what we do to see these families just gain that confidence. And, um, I, she's bless her heart. She's, I'm just so proud of her and Michelle and Tina and just them finding their voice, finding their voice. It's not only being a voice, but finding it and using it. Finding it is key. It's, it is hard to come out at first and because you don't feel like anybody's there to support you. Yeah. You know, like I always use that, that terminology, you know, you've got, you got one pencil, you break it in half. It's pretty easy. You put 10 pencils together you try to break it in half. It doesn't break so easy, you know? So yeah. when you see that there's, people behind you beside you and sometimes in front of you if they need be it's what i tell people i'll stand beside you behind you and sometimes i'll stand in front of you if i need to take the brunt of something that's coming your way then you feel like okay people do care i can stand up i can say something these two are doing it you know Lindsay and, and anthony are doing this well there's no reason that i can't do this you know this is my daughter i'm gonna stand up for this and and that gave her i feel that gave her the courage you know to be able to say you know what I am a voice and my daughter is somebody. She yeah. matters is what she says. She matters. Yeah. And, yeah. and all these people matter. Yeah. It's that was key. And I'm, I'm proud of her. I'm proud of Michelle. I'm proud of Penny. I'm proud of everybody that showed up there that day because that's where it starts is, is finding a group of people that are like-minded that are going through the same thing that you are, that will stand up and be a voice with you. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. It's the best feeling. All right, Anthony. So what are, what are some of the biggest challenges that you have faced within, since you've started True Crime Investigates? My biggest challenges are the naysayers, <sighs> are, are the, are the, tro the trolling, uh, the flat out disrespect towards family members, towards what I do to try to help people. There are people that are out there that are just absolutely against it. You know, I'll post a video, five dislikes before it even starts. I was just going to say that before our, our video that you just posted about the March, before it even was, anyone could ever view it. We had, I think four dislikes. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's somebody with multiple accounts or a few people that are just totally against <laughs> whether they like me, they just don't like me or whatever it is. They have no idea what it is, but apparently this is the way I look at it. Apparently they just don't like me, but they're subscribed to the channel to know every single time a video pops up because they secretly know that the content is good and they watch it. I know they watch it. They just, they do that for no reason. 
Yeah. You know, and that's like, that really irritates me at times, you know, is, is that is a challenge in this because that can get you down. And then there's family members that see these and they're like, well, why would anybody dislike, you know, yes. my, a, a video about my child that was killed? Like, why would anybody dislike that? They don't take into account that that affects these people. And that's, those are the things that I think of is when people make negative comments or reviews and, and things that these family members see that. And that doesn't, sit well with the family members they're like man these people don't care that that puts them into a state of depression puts me into a state of depression when i see those types of things and so the biggest challenge is trying to overcome that the smaller you are the worse it is for you because you feel like you know it's an overwhelming amount but the larger you grow you realize that you've got one percent that does that and then you've got 99 percent that stands up and says more power to you i support this 100 percent and I got 10 million people behind me that supports it as well, yeah. you know, um, but it's that 1% of people that is a big challenge for me. Um, you know, you get a lot of hatred and doing what we're doing from people that just absolutely oppose it or people that just don't like you. And that is probably my biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I'm sorry that you have to go through that. So you just shared your biggest challenge. How about what was your most memorable moment while, while, investigating one of the the one of the crimes mm -hmm. okay my most memorable moment would have probably been during the course of my delphi murders investigations it's 2020 february 2020 randy gravitt hosted the first annual abby and libby memorial walk and i filmed it and part of that, it was in the freezing cold snow, probably about 15, 16 people showed up to it. Part of that was to go out to the trail system for Abby and Libby and teach other people about the crime and to remember the girls. But to answer any questions that people had come from all over the state and a couple of them from out of state, just to see the area in the freezing cold snow, mm. it was to answer questions. You know, as part of the investigation, I like to... Um, get new people out there and try to get their point of views because I need open minds. What do you feel like the first time you're here? Are you scared to cross this bridge? What do you think about these areas? Just to gain a better perspective from different points of view. And after the walk, we had flowers. And, and I think the biggest thing for me was being able to take those flowers and we went to the grave sites and it's going Going to the grave sites what was huge for me because it it um it made me realize what I was doing this for. Mm -hmm. I'm standing at a grave of a 13 and 14 year old girl, and it never really hit home as to why I really, really, really do this in the Delphi case. You know, like this means a lot to me because it's not just a true crime story. You know, I get mad when I see people cover things on news segments or other YouTubers or, or podcasters and they get things wrong mm -hmm. because I want people to know the truth behind all of this. I want them to know that these are people, you know, these are children that I've stood there at their graves and I've put flowers on their graves. And it, it never hit me as how real it was 
until I was there that day. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that moment to say that I was there for that, that walk. And I was able to see that because it changed everything about the way I perceive all of these cases was to be at that grave, those graves that day. And I'm super proud of it. That is the most memorable, memorable thing that I've ever done in my life. That, that is so true. Uh, I have, Egypt was, cre was cremated, so we don't have a site to go to for her. We have a memorial in a park that was, that was set up. Um, we don't have a site for her. Uh, the very first time, so at the march, I went in, I saw, I went to Tanner's gravesite. I also went to Brittany's. And that was definitely the most moving time of my, uh, same thing. Uh, you, you go there and I was standing there, <clears throat> I went just me and Michelle to Tanner's and I found myself at both sites just kind of rubbing the the top of the the gravestone and right it was just natural for me and it was just I don't I don't know why I did it after I caught myself doing it I felt like gosh is that being weird I didn't know how to act and and Michelle said Michelle said to me the hardest thing is walking away and she yeah. was bawling and, and she's like how do I, how do you leave? How do you leave your son? That's the hardest thing is just walking, walking away and leaving him again. That's how she, that's how she felt. And, um, going to see Brittany said when we got there, that one was me, Dwayne, uh, Donna, Donnell and Kalila and Tyrese, her, her kids. And we, we went out there to see Brittany and I said, you know, I said, hi, Brittany, you know, we were just talking and, and um, I said, what do you guys, what do you call this? Like, is this her? And she said, this is Brittany's home. We're at Brittany's home. Um, you know, because I, I didn't, if I'm not sure how to act, I ask. If I'm not sure what to say, I, I ask, you know, because I, I just, I would want someone to do the same to me. Um, and so I just flat out, I just said, what do you, what do you say? So we kept saying that we we're at Brittany's home and um, it just is, when you're sitting there and you realize that that is Brittany's home and she was 22 years old, that that shouldn't be their home. And that is, you're exactly right. That's why we're putting this fight in there. I can't imagine going to these 13 and 13 and 14 mm -hmm. there and, yeah. it, and just, it, it does, it makes a whole new, it brings a whole new perspective. It does. It brings it to life. It brings it, it brings the whole case that you're talking about to a higher level in your heart and in your mind, because, you know, you hear about it and, and, and like you, you're, you're farther away from it. You know, it's not like you can just drive down the road and go see it. But when you come here and then you're there and you actually see, and you're like, man, this is, this is the person, you know, this is where that person lies that I've been talking about for months. And I've been working so hard to fight for justice for, for what's right here. You know, this is where a person uh, has died and, and their, their body is here, you know, and I'm there now. It makes it so much more realistic. It makes it so much more personal to you. And it gives you the strength 
to keep moving on because you can, you can see the families going through the pain. You know, you see that, you feel it when you're there. Yeah. Both, both families, uh, constantly moving, you know, constantly moving, constantly picking, moving grass off of the, the site, making it, you know, um, putting in some flowers, putting in some balloons, making it and and the kids, Brittany's kids kind of walking around and it's, it's so unsettling. It's like an unsettling feeling. And and you can feel it. Like you said, you can feel it from the families and um, they're so proud because that's what they have. That's, that's their baby. And they were so proud to, you know, before, before I went to both of their sites, I said, um, I, I want to ask you, can I please go see Tanner? Can I please go see Brittany? And I said, I, I don't want to bring any more pain to you on, on this trip and while you're here. And if you'd rather just do this by yourself, then I understand both of them said, Lindsay, we are so proud to show our baby. And we are so honored that somebody wants to see Tanner. Someone wants to see Brittany. And, um, you know, you just don't, I'm fortunate enough to not have to think that way. I don't have a super close, like my, my children are, are alive, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't, and so, um, yeah, yeah. Wow. So true. That is, that's uh, very challenging. Um, very memorable moments. And yeah. thank you for sharing that. Um, no so, is there a question <laughs> that you wish that more people asked of you? Yes, there, <laughs> there is. <laughs> yes, there is. This, this is such a hard question <laughs> to answer. Um, getting wiggly, you guys. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm wiggling around in my chair here. She's got me moving around. Um, this is what I would like people to ask me. And, and there's a reason for it. I wish people would, would look at me and say, you know, what, what is your ultimate goal in doing true crime YouTube? What is the goal here? What's your five-year, what's your 10-year goal? I don't think people think that far in advance. They always think, well, what's the next case? What's the next video that you're going to do? And that's not how I look at this. I don't look as, well, what's the next case I'm going to cover? What's the next victim? What's the next video? You know, I don't think about it like that. What I think is, where are we in a year from now? Where are we in five years from now? Where are we in 10 years from now? Because I'm certainly not going to be just a guy that's, that goes to random places just to here in Indiana and covers random cases. I'm a guy that's going to be all over the United States that's helping people nationwide get their stories out there. These not well-known cases, you know, jump onto some of the well-known cases and try to see if I can help out with those. Bringing awareness to people everywhere is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. So I think more long-term when I think about this kind of stuff, you know, these marches, this isn't just one-time march and, and we're one and done. This is something where I think that eventually this is going to be millions of people, you know, a, a true crime convention. I know they have crime con, but I want a true crime convention where other podcasters, other YouTubers, whatever they are, show up to these things, present the cases that they've worked on and tell us about them. 
hey, you tell us about Egypt. You're an expert in Egypt's case. You take the stage. You tell us. You educate us on what you did to help that case. You know, I can bring my, my expertise with the floor fires and the Delphi murders. Different things like that. People can bring something to the, to the table there. And with a large network of like-minded people, we can create something that can really solve some crimes. And some of these people are scientists and, and uh, you know, for, forensic um, pathologists and different things. These people all combined together can create the ultimate true crime task force that can solve crimes without law enforcement. You know, it's a big network of people. You've got a law enforcement department of maybe 30 people that work on the case. But we've got millions of people across the United States that can put their heads together and come up with some sort of a solution. Yep. That's what I want. And that's what I wish people would ask is what is your ultimate goal, long-term goal in true crime? I love that. Because I had no idea how to answer that when I asked you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what a great answer. Yes, that's so true. Because we live in the moment. And, we do. and so that's just what we do. And, and I have huge goals. I mean, and what's so cool about Anthony and I is, is that our goals are so similar. And, mm -hmm. and then we, we also have goals that we can feed off of each other. So that's, that's awesome. I love your, I love your goal. Sorry, I didn't ask you that question, but you answered it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> yeah yeah all right so before we get off here what do what do you do for fun what is fun for anthony greeno <laughs> i am see this is when this you're is not working when, and, when I know, and i know investigating is fun because I, I i feel you on that so i don't want to hear that <laughs> okay well it still involves a camera so i take my camera everywhere i go i i love filming things i like making creations i'm a video maker that is what my passion is. I love to make videos, even if it's not on crime. So what I like to do for fun is I like to go out. I like to go to state parks, national parks, hiking, cool sites like, you know, go to Mount Rushmore. So I'll film a, basically a vlog video of here's my trip to Mount Rushmore and, you know, what I'm doing along the way. So, you know, hold the camera up tonight. We're we're staying a night in this hotel. You know, this is what's around us. We're going to go check out these cool things here in town and film all those things and put together a cool video presentation of my trips, my hikes, all the cool nature, fly the drone around, see all the cool things and just share that with people. So that that is what I like to do for fun is go, go places and film it and share the adventure with other people. Anything to do with a video camera is my passion and it just so happens that I love it. So that's what I do for fun. And then the true crime is pretty much what I do for work. And you know? it helps that you have the, you have the voice. <laughs> I'm Anthony Greedo with the true crime voice. Yes. Did, yeah. I, have you always. The radio voice. People, yeah. Have people told you that uh, like a lot of your life? Yes. Or did you just Every, discover it? Okay. Everybody has said, man, you really got a cool, a deep voice. Like you're really good with the radio thing. And I'm like, really? You know, I like, they kept telling me that. And then I started, you know, doing like voiceovers for things like that. And then I would be like today on true crime investigates. And I just kind of developed this thing where I can turn on the voice as yeah. this is what it needs to be. I can sound scary or mean or intense or sad and it just works. My voice is just, a, I guess it's a wonderful thing. 
it you know, is it just so works perfect um, wait don't what? stop yet okay i gotta say something before we get off here okay <laughs> you know what i'm gonna say no <laughs> oh keep it you already know <laughs> yes you have, to, you have to for sure on that note everybody subscribe to true crime investigates i'm anthony greeno keep it southern style y'all All right, so thank you so much to Anthony for taking time away from your incredibly busy schedule to chat with me and our listeners, for allowing them to get to know you and what you do while helping so many grieving families. I appreciate you, Anthony. You guys, I'm telling you, Anthony's story is so intriguing. And yeah, he has been through a lot. He has had many ups and downs in his life, just like so many of us. But without those life challenges, he wouldn't be who he is today. Without those life challenges, he wouldn't have the drive and the will to help others like he does today. And without those life challenges, we wouldn't have even crossed paths. Dwayne and I are so proud to call Anthony Greeno our friend. And we now get the honor of calling him our colleague. Yep, you heard me correctly. True Crime Investigates and Can't Stop, Won't Stop are teaming up. And we couldn't be more excited about that. Together, we will help so many more families. Together, we will hold many more police departments accountable. Together, we will reach new audiences to support these grieving families. And together, we are unstoppable. I want to remind all of you that I am well aware that there are many phenomenal police officers out there, and I am incredibly grateful for each of them. My goal at Can't Stop, Won't Stop is to get these cases into the right hands. Through our experience with my sister-in-law, Egypt Covington's case, the state police is exactly where so many of these cases belong. With the help of all of you, we know that we can't stop and we won't stop being warriors fighting for justice. Again, you guys, please tune in to Anthony Greeno's True Crime Investigates YouTube page and check out his episode from July 10th, 2021 where he created a one-hour dynamic production of the protest that you will not want to miss. Also, keep an eye out for more information regarding my upcoming Patreon page by joining Can't Stop, Won't Stop on Facebook. And you can get more information on Instagram at MyLindsayAnn. If you enjoyed this episode, please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. This is free, and it will help get awareness to the public about the injustices happening to so many grieving families. 
Thank you so much for all of your support. Also, at can'tstopwon'tstop.store, you can purchase merchandise. Again, that's can'tstopwon'tstop.store. You guys, it is absolutely disgusting what so many grieving families have to go through. What if this happened to your child? Would you stop fighting? Would you back down? Hell no. We can't stop and we won't stop fighting until we get answers. You know, I don't know why so much pain and loss has to happen. I don't have all the answers. It has been nine years since Tanner Barton was taken from all of us. And it has been four years since Brittany Bell and Egypt Covington were both taken from all of us. It has been too many years of obstacles and lies from people they trusted and from the police. It has been too many years that no family should ever have to go through. Tanner, Brittany, and Egypt. We can't stop and we won't stop fighting for you and every other victim that deserves justice. Please be sure to join our Facebook group, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, for more information, where Dwayne and I go live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow me on Instagram at MyLindsayAnn. A huge thank you to singer and songwriter Mr. Peace for allowing us the rights to use the song, Where'd You Go?, featuring our beloved Egypt Covington. We appreciate you. Can't wait for next week. Peyton.